Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Timberline Windsor. My name is Donnie Abbott. A special welcome to you folks who are tuning in online. We're glad that you're with us this morning as well. Well, this morning we are going to venture into the Gospel of Mark chapter 3, and I do want to give you parents a heads up if you have uh, little children in the room. This is potentially a scary message as it involves demons in the text that I'll be reading as well as what I'll be talking about uh, afterwards. So let's start with Mark chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee, Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. <clears throat> and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. <clears throat> now, the first thing that jumps off the page at me in reading this are the huge crowds are once again following Jesus. And you, if you remember last month when I was visiting with you, I, I said that um, Jesus was creating a following because of the incredible things that he was doing. He was performing miracles. He was healing pe people. Remember, I said that in today's terms, he would be known as an influencer. But there are three points that come to my attention in this passage that I think are helpful to all of us. And the first point is this. Jesus calls us to be with him. Now, although we don't know the professions of all of the apostles, we do know that they came from pretty diverse backgrounds. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, these guys were all fishermen. Simon was a zealot, an anarchist kind of a guy who had a strong desire for Israel's independence. He could not stand the Roman occupation and believed that the Messiah would come as a conquering hero and a mighty warrior and overthrow the Roman rule. And then there was Matthew. He wasn't a popular guy at all as he was a tax collector. And we know that Judas was 
a thief, but as for the remaining apostles, we really don't have a whole lot of uh, information on their background or even what their jobs were. But from what we do know, we can see that this was a very diverse team of people. Jesus could have easily put together a much more formidable group of people, but these guys were in many respects the bad news bears. And we all know that anytime you get 12 men together to do anything, inevitably egos are going to raise their ugly heads. And we see that with these guys time and time again. They were prone to quarreling with chest-beating sort of arguments, such as who is the greatest among them. They were also concerned about which of them would get the best seat in heaven. I mean, these guys acted with pride and self-interest time and time again. But in spite of their quarreling, in spite of their differences and their petty arguing, the diversity of the team is where the lesson lies. That in spite of their differences, they formed a movement in the early church that you and I are a part of to this very day. The other thing that I wonder about as I read this passage is, is what is the significance of 12? Why not pick eight or 27 or even 14? Well, Jesus picked 12 as a nod to the 12 tribes of Israel. You might remember that the 12 tribes originated from the 12 sons of the patriarch Jacob. And we read in Genesis 49, where Jacob, now known as Israel, has gathered his 12 sons to his side as he lays dying. And he says, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father, Israel. He then talks to each of his boys and describes to them what their lives will be like. Some of them will be blessed and some will be cursed. And then the passage concludes in verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each a blessing appropriate to them. And from these 12, they would go on and rule over the nation of Israel. And just as Jacob drew his 12 sons to himself, so is Jesus here in this passage in Mark. He's drawing these 12 men to himself. Why would Jesus want these 12 men to be with him? Well, he did that because these 12 guys would not become the leaders of Israel, but instead would become the leaders of the early Church And as apostles, they would go on to carry the gospel message to Africa, to India, and beyond. But they first had to be with Jesus to understand the mission that he was calling them into. For three years, they had to apprentice under him and learn all about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, because they, in turn, were going to go and teach others. And it's the same with you and with me. Now, when I think of being with Jesus, I often think of how many times I choose not to be with him. I think of how often I choose things of the world. I get distracted over just being with 
Jesus. Spending time with Jesus is ultimately what transforms our lives. Getting to know him transforms our hearts and our minds. So we need to, just like the 12 apostles, be regularly spending time with Jesus and learning his ways. So you might ask, well, how in the heck do we do that? Well, we do that through reading his word. We do that, of course, through talking to him in prayer. We do it as we're doing right now, gathering together in fellowship with one another. We do it through giving, through the giving of the, of the resources that God has given to each and every one of this. All of, the, all of these are ways that you and I can become more like Jesus. The second point that Jesus tells them is he sends them out to preach. Now, I don't know about you, but there, I find something a little bit confusing in this passage. If you remember earlier in the passage, it said, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. But then later in the passage, it says that he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. So as I'm reading this, I'm going, well, what the heck is the difference between an apostle and a disciple? Well, a disciple is someone who follows the teachings of Jesus and desires to become more like him. You and I are disciples of Jesus. But being an apostle is different in that apostles were directly appointed by Jesus, whereas a disciple is not. You might say that all apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. Does that make sense? Well, the word apostle, it literally means a sent one. In Matthew 28, we read the last words that Jesus would say to this group of 12 men. And here he's given them their marching orders, and he tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Being an apostle is almost like being a church planner. This is the spreading of the good news. Jesus is sending this team out. He's telling them to go. Go to places where the gospel has never been heard before. Go and preach. The third point, Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons. Wow. Part of the mission of the 12 was about engaging in warfare against the kingdom of darkness. Now, just looking at these guys on the surface, we can see that these guys aren't demon slayers by any stretch of the imagination. But because of the authority that Jesus gave them, they were able to cast evil spirits out of people. The authority of Jesus was entirely the difference. Now, I totally get this. Anytime you start talking about demons, immediately people can get weirded out, right? And they can put them in the the realm of campfire stories along with Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and, and UFOs, right? 
You know, people can question, are these things really real? I mean, come on. Are they just part of the human imagination intended to provide a good scare? But they're not really real. You don't actually believe this stuff, do you? As this one author notes, to many people, Satan is nothing more than a literary device, a personification of evil. And demons are mental and emotional disorders such as schizophrenia, paranoia, and psychoneurosis. And of course, Hollywood hasn't helped much over the years, have they? They sensationalize demonic activity in the movies that they've produced. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus and we believe that the word of God is true, then we also have to believe that the stories within it, including the stories with demons, are also true. And particularly because Jesus himself believed in the very real existence of demons. When we read about the earthly work that Jesus did, it seems to me that a big part of his work was confronting demons. I mean, here we are. We're three chapters into the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus has already encountered demons twice and Satan once. And I don't know about you, but I have to ask the question, why? I mean, were demons more prevalent then than they are today? And I suppose some people can make an argument for that, but I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. I believe that demons are just as much a part of our world today as they were back then. It's just that we, particularly us here in the West, we tend to dismiss the work of demons and we instead like to give their activity names and labels. But if you travel to other parts of the world, that perhaps aren't as developed as the United States, you will find that the demonic supernatural realm is a very matter-of-fact, very real part of their world. Ten years ago, I traveled to Uganda, and I pretty quickly learned that uh, the supernatural world is as real to people living there as any other part of their everyday lives. And lest you think that this stuff just happens over in underdeveloped countries, I've, I've just experienced or uh, celebrated my 10-year work anniversary here at Timberline. And over the years, I've encountered people who've been greatly impacted by satanic activity. And three times, just in the last probably two years, people who are not Christ followers have called the church because they were desperately looking for help. They were being terrorized at night. Invisible footsteps are running down their hallways. There's knocking on walls and objects are mysteriously moving on their own. This, this one couple who called me, they have a five-year-old daughter. And they woke up one morning to discover that all of their little girl's uh, dolls, all of the heads on the dolls had been removed. I mean, talk about frightening, right? The question that I asked every single one of these people, I said, are you involved in any occultic activity? You know, seances, Ouija boards, tarot cards. 
And every single one of them said yes. And they wanted me to come over and pray over them and pray over their house. And I said, you don't need me to come over and pray over your house. You need to repent of these occultic activities. You need to burn the tarot cards. You need to burn the Ouija boards. And you need to quit trying to communicate with the dead. See, so many people, they think that this stuff is all just just fun. It's a scary thing to do. You know, smoke some pot, drink some beer, throw some tarot cards around. It's just harmless fun, right? But these are activities that are strictly forbidden in the word of God. And as every one of these people found out, there was nothing harmless about it. Nothing at all. And it's something that none of us as followers of Jesus should be dabbling in. This stuff is not to be fooled with. And I told every one of these people that they need to repent. They need to turn to Jesus. Every one of them said they wouldn't do that. I said, well, nothing's going to change until you quit fooling around with this stuff. So I want to mention to all of you who are here and tuning in online that demons and the occult are not fun. They are extremely dangerous. And Jesus, he knew this. We read in scripture that he saw firsthand the great torment that resulted from demonic activity. People in scripture who are being demonized, they suffered from the degrading of their bodies. Great harm was inflicted upon them, both spiritually and physically. And we can read in scripture that people who were demonized were filled with chaos, confusion, and fear. Those are the hallmarks of Satan's work in our world. If you want to know where Satan's at work, just look for places where there's chaos, confusion, and fear. And look for where people are degrading their bodies or having their bodies degraded and thereby taking away their dignity, the dignity of what God said was good. If you remember going back to the creation account, God was creating something new every single day, right? And at the end of each day, God would say, it is good. But on the sixth day, something different happens. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And at the end of this day, it says, God saw all that he had made and what? And it was very good. It wasn't just good. It was very good. See, there seems to be something about being made as men and women that was sort of the capstone of God's creation. God doesn't make mistakes. But knowing this, See, Satan desires to go after you and me and our physical bodies, which are made in the very image of God. You and I are imagers of God. That's why when we read in the scripture, when people are being demonized, they're throwing themselves into fire or water. They're foaming at the mouth. They're cutting themselves and they're living among the dead. This is bodily degradation. That's happening. A person's dignity is being taken from them. And of course, this is all the opposite 
of what Jesus brings into the lives of people, which is order, wholeness, dignity, and justice. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this isn't the first time in the Gospel of Mark where we read about Jesus casting out demons. Remember back in chapter 1 that Pastor John spoke on the man with an unclean spirit who was there in the synagogue listening to Jesus. And there's two quick points that we can glean from that encounter in chapter 1 and this encounter in chapter 3. In fact, every encounter that Jesus has with a demon or demons. And the first point is that demons knew who Christ was. In Mark chapter 1, the demon referred to Jesus as the Holy One of God. And here in chapter 3, Jesus is addressed as the Son of God. There wasn't any debate amongst the demonic clan about who Jesus was. Demons weren't sitting there second-guessing themselves. They knew immediately who Jesus was. They knew him to be without question the Son of God. The second thing that every demon experienced when they encountered Jesus was fear. And rightly so, right? I mean, these beings rebelled along with Lucifer, and since their rebellion have been destined to hell. So these things, they know that once Jesus landed on earth, the clock was ticking, man, their time was up. And what they desire in their rebellion and in their absolute contempt and hatred for you and for me is to take as many of us with them to eternal damnation. An article from Westminster Seminary says, one of the points the gospels make is that with the arrival of the king, namely Jesus, comes the arrival of the kingdom. And if the king and his kingdom are here, then he casts out every offending thing, especially the unwelcome demons. Amen to that. See, Jesus, he didn't play games with demons. He rebuked them and drove them out. In fact, one of Jesus's primary purposes for coming to earth was to rid the earth of evil. In 1 John, we read, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the devil's work. I think the bottom line here that God or that Mark wants to show when it comes to the work of Jesus is that Jesus comes with power and authority. And as followers of Christ, you and I, we don't have to fear this stuff. We have to respect it for sure, but we don't have to fear it because Jesus, who we place, you and I, we place our faith and trust in, has power and authority over natural and supernatural enemies alike. And as we see in this passage, he grants this power to his followers. The apostles' mission is our mission. Nothing has changed. So again, just to recap, we need to regularly be spending time with Jesus. We need to preach. That is, you and I are to tell others the good news about Jesus. You and I are to be lights in a dark world. And then finally, 
You and I have power and authority over the evil one. You and I are to confront evil wherever it exists. When we encounter evil, we are to call it out. And keep in mind that although Jesus initially called 12 men to join his team, that team has multiplied a little bit over the last 2,000 years, hasn't it? You and I stand on the shoulders of believers who have gone before us, people who come from all walks of life, people who speak every language and come from all corners of our planet, all to form the church. And as Jesus famously told Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me pray for us. God, we're so grateful for our gathering together in community this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word as it's holy and it's true. We thank you for this teaching out of Mark that reminds us that first and foremost, we need to be with you on a regular basis, spending time in your word and talking to you in prayer. And out of that can flow the other things to to preach and share who you are with others. And when, when the need arises, to uh, express our authority over the demonic. God, all of it comes from you, and we thank you for it. Thank you again for our time together this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.